Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for being with me today. I am excited about today's show. As you know, that is my general disposition because I have such awesome guests. And when they agree to come on the show, I get all excited. And then I look at the lineup and I go, oh, my goodness. I got Adam Weber coming up. He is the uh, lead pastor at Embrace Church in Sioux Falls. And then Dr. Ann Rathbone Bradley I love her middle name. She's an economist. She, of course, is with the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. She's got a a book that she recently edited called Setting Free, Restoring Religious Freedom for All. That's going to be a wonderful discussion. And then a little bit uh, in hour two, Ron Deal. I I like Ron Deal a lot. I used to talk to him quite a bit in the morning show, and now I'm kind of trying to get him to come back and talk to me. And he said, yeah. So he's the director of Family Life Blended and as you know, blended families can have some problems around the holiday time, navigating your way through it all. So we're going to get Ron on the program in hour two. And then uh, Robert and Nancy Wogelmuth will be joining me, and they've written a book together. You know, Nancy DeMoss uh, Wogelmuth and Robert Wogelmuth. And the title of the book is You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. That's going to be a great discussion with those two. So that's the show for the day. Let me take 60 seconds and bring on Adam. It's never been easier to listen to Faith Radio. One way is on an Amazon Alexa or Echo device. To get started, say, enable Faith Radio. Now when it's enabled, say, Play Faith Radio. That's it. You can now enjoy the live stream. You can also access previous programs and podcasts. Enjoy Faith Radio at home, work, or anywhere there's an Alexa or Echo device. Learn more at MyFaithRadio.com. Jesus said that in this world there will be suffering, but we can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. Maybe you or a loved one are in a difficult season or have endured many years of suffering. You know the Bible is the source of truth, but how can it help you move beyond your suffering and find hope in Christ? The Beyond Suffering Study Bible, created by Johnny Erickson Tata of Johnny and Friends Ministry, provides insights through short devotionals, connection points, highlighting key verses, and more. Faith Radio is giving away one copy each week this month. Enter to win at MyFaithRadio.com. Okay, Rebecca, we need an Adam Weber theme song. Make a note of that. That's got to be first. I'm on it. Okay, first on the list of things to do. And then we'll get that theme song from Adam. And then when he comes on the show, we'll play it in advance of him coming on. And then everyone will know, oh, it's Adam Weber's theme song. And then we'll bring on Adam and it'll be great. I like the way you think. <laughs> All right, now we don't have a theme song for Adam, but he's on the studio line. He's founder and lead pastor of Embrace, a church that has six campuses in two states. I just like having Adam on. Adam, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm already <laughs> smiling. My, my cheeks are already hurting, and we Good. haven't even started the conversation. Good. So give us a theme song. Give us a walk-up. We need your walk-up music. Give us a song that will say, Adam Weber's coming on. 
I have no, I have no idea what theme song. <laughs> well, just a song you like, a song that I'll ask, maybe. I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask my wife. I, I need to ask her at some point, honey. If I had a, a theme song, what would it be? What would it be? <laughs> All right, so we will get back on that, and we'll have you next time you're on. We'll have your own theme song, compliments That's of your perfect. wife. That's perfect. So, yeah. So, how's the church and family life and everything gearing up for the holidays? Thanksgiving around the corner. Yeah, like. Genuinely, someone asked me, really? And I, I mean it. I, I genuinely think I'm in the sweetest season oh, love it. of my of my life. So I'm a I'm a person that usually struggles to to live in today. I'm usually focused on what's happening six months from now, but just really incredibly grateful for every single day. So so life is really good. Excited about Thanksgiving coming up, Christmas. Uh, just life is fantastic across the board. Mm-hmm. Adam, do you find that when a lot of people um, start to share where they're at in life, they, they think that maybe I don't have it all together yet. Maybe, maybe I'm not ready for God or a relationship of faith. Do you, do you hear that enough times that makes you want to preach a sermon on it? Yeah. Well, it's, I, I think we each struggle with two things. We, we feel like we're, we, we, we're completely broken. We're too far gone for God to redeem us. Um, so, so that that's maybe one feeling that we feel. The other thing, that feeling that we feel, is we have to be perfect, and so we walk around with a mask on everywhere we go, acts, acting like things are great, life's fantastic when it's really not. And so, I, I, it's a, it's a constant battle, like just of just being real and honest with where you are and the things you're struggling with. And thankfully, we have a God who loves us right where we are. Mm-hmm. So, Adam, obviously, as fallen humanity we are broken but god certainly doesn't want us to be involved in a pity party does he he doesn't no he he wants he meets us right where we are but he wants to make us whole um he he loves us he came for people who are sick people who are sinners and yet he wants to make us healthy again so he doesn't want us to stay there and and really though the the first like step to health and wholeness is acknowledging where you are of just approaching God and saying, "Hey, I I don't have this figured out clearly without you, God, but and I, and I I need you. And here's the area of 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 my brokenness. Here's the area of my addiction. Here's the area of my bitterness. And really, just being honest with God is such a huge first step. And yet, it's a step we're, we're reluctant to do because we we're programmed to to pretty ourselves up and to to put on our Instagram best. Um, and so it, it's, it goes completely against our nature. I mean, it's Adam and Eve. They, mm. they, they eat from the tree. First thing they do is they try to hide. First thing they do, they try to cover up. Right. But if you admit it to God, then it's out there. You know, not it that is. God doesn't know already, but it's, it's then you've taken that step of surrender or vulnerability, and that's exactly where God wants us. But that's a scary step for many, including probably me at times. It is. I, I always tell people when you allow God into something, it's like he flips the light switch on in a dark room. And all of a sudden you, you can begin to deal with what's true. Okay, I have a problem with addiction. Okay, that's true. But I, I'm not my addiction. Like that does not define me. I'm not too far gone. That's a lie. And so we, get, we can begin to actually deal with, with reality and not only on ourselves but with God's strength. His self-control, his patience, his peace, his joy. 
And so the, the, the situation completely changes when we just hit the light switch on and we begin to ask God, hey, would you show me what's true? And would you help me to take this first step out of this darkness? Would you help me to see the first step? Because oftentimes we get in these places and we feel like there's no way out of it. Mm -hmm. We're in this horrible situation. I got this addiction. I got this problem. I have this lie that I've been telling, and there is no way out of it. When we flip the light switch on, God's like, there's all kinds of ways out of this. Like there's, there's all kinds of next steps. You're, you're not too far gone. Yes, you've made a mistake, but the sun will come up tomorrow. And so it completely changes our situation. Adam, might we be more um, able to see God's mercy and grace when we take that step of surrender? I, I was absolutely. I mean, absolutely. When we, we begin to allow him to work in, in our lives, we begin to see his grace. We begin to see his strength and his joy and his mercy. And one step further than that, we begin to see it and feel those things towards the people around us. And all of a sudden we begin to realize, gosh, I know what it's like to be broken. I know what it's like to walk through a situation, a trial, a valley. And now I'm going to have eyes to be the hands and feet and heart of Christ to someone walking through the exact same situation. Our, our trials that we walk through, they give us compassion for people walking through the exact same thing. They give us mercy and grace. And so it, it doesn't just stop with us. All of a sudden, we begin to look for ways that we can use the things that we've been to help other people. And I, and I know, Adam, you've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and you've put it in a wonderful book called Talking with God, What to Say When You Don't Know How to Pray. So, I mean, that is a, a wonderful resource for people who might be thinking, huh, I think he's talking about me right now because I know these feelings I have on the inside, but how do I take them to God and start with a simple prayer because my life feels chaotic right now. Oh yeah, to how, how to how to reach out to help for from God of just saying like Lord, I need you, and here's the specific area that I need you. And the other day when I wrote I wrote I just wrote up a simple post. It's okay to admit you're falling apart. It's actually the first step to being put back together. Really, where that came from is last week we we had a, a conversation at the church here around depression and suicidal thoughts and whatnot. And the amount of people who came to the event and listened online um, that said, I feel like I need to have my act together, and yet it's not true. And I, I've never told anyone before. Mm. And so, so it's just the first step is telling God and asking God for his strength. But oftentimes God uses other people as well. And so finding a trusted friend, a family member, maybe a pastor or a youth pastor from years ago when we were younger, of reaching out to that person and telling them as well, of saying, hey, I'm, I'm actually struggling with this and I don't know what to do. And when we reach out to someone, specifically not just a close friend that we look up to, but a close friend that we look up to who loves Jesus, all of a sudden they can begin to speak God's truth to us. And that's when God can begin to heal us and make us whole. And Adam, you're the right man for the job because you've always uh, led with, by example, and I, you've always been someone who has said, you know, I don't have this all figured out, but I'm on this journey, and I welcome you alongside. Uh, well, I, 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 hope, I hope that's the case. I actually just told one of the leaders in our church yesterday, at the end of my ministry, um, uh, not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Christ, one of the things I hope that I can be is uh, throughout my life, the, the first person who comes to mind when a person's going through their lowest moment. 
I think that would be almost one of the greatest honors as a pastor and as a follower of Christ is if if we are in our workplaces, maybe we're a, a banker, maybe we're a nurse. If we were known for the safe person that we go to mm. on our worst day, um, what an awesome thing to truly be Jesus in those lowest moments, to pray for someone, to say, hey, tomorrow the sun's going to come up, to say, hey, I know you made this, this mistake, but I still love you. I know you screwed up, but I'm not walking out on you. I think that's when we can be uh, the clearest example to Jesus. And, and in those lowest moments, people never forget their lowest moments. And they also don't forget the people who are there with them in their lowest moments. Yeah, so and true. What a, what a, what a life-changing moment for us to be, able to, to be able to point someone to Jesus in that place. Mm-hmm. When, when, when their heart's wide open saying, what, what, I don't know what I need. And being able to say, hey, have you ever, have you ever met this Jesus guy? Have you ever opened up your Bible? Like, I just want to give you this this Bible verse, this promise for you during this season. Um, God can use that that low worst day for something so good. Yeah, well, Adam, let's keep this going after a very short break. Adam Weber is my guest. He is the founder and lead pastor of Embrace Church in Sioux Falls, six campuses. Has a lot of people coming to worship there. It's been great. We'll be right back. Adam Weber is my guest. I always love chatting with Adam. And during the break, Adam, I was thinking about this need for feeling like you got it all together. And if I don't have it all together, who's going to discover I don't have it all together? And then how am I going to feel? And I feel broken. And, uh, you know, you go on this this train of thinking that can take you into a very dark place. And if you're in that cycle, how do you break out of it? Oh, I think you may, uh, several different. Yeah, oh, you yeah, go. No, I mean you. You may not have a good answer, but maybe you do. No, it's it's um, a couple of things that we've already mentioned. Going to God, going to another person. Um, I, I was just talking with a men's group the other day in our church, and it's this group that's known for just being a safe place for men to come and share. It's just been this awesome group at one of our campuses, and the one guy said, "All it takes is one person being open." And for the rest to follow suit. And so I think there's power when we tell mm. one person of them being able to say, hey, I don't struggle with the same thing, but I've, I struggle with this over here. Hey, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you. Would you do the same for me? And all of a sudden, this ripple effect begins to happen in a church or even in a small group of people or even mm-hmm. between two friends that, hey, I'm going to be that person. Um, and so if you need if you need to be to ask hard questions – uh, every so often, if there's a certain struggle, if you need me to go with you to to a, a counselor, I'll, I'll go to the counseling appointment with you. Like all, all of a sudden, you're no longer doing it on your own, and we're so much stronger when we have another person walking beside us. So I think I think asking God for His strength is clinging to Scripture is the second thing. Finding a, finding a verse that you can hold on to specifically through what you're walking through, and then just telling another person. And, and nine times out of ten, the other person will say, you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm walking through. And all of a sudden it brings freedom to them, and the two of you can walk through it together. You know, Adam, maybe even um, being and putting yourself in an environment where you hear one person tell their story. Maybe you're not ready to talk yet, 
but being in a place where you're hearing someone tell their story might give you the courage you need. Oh, it's it's so true, and and that's that's scary to do. That um, for some it's scarier than others to go check out a small group at your church, to get plugged into a Bible study, um, to 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 you know talk with a person of hey, would you want to meet once a, once every other week and and walk through this book together? This there's this book that was really powerful for me in my walk with Christ. Would you want to walk through that together? And it, it's it's scary to, it's scary to do that. Um, but often when we put ourselves in that, those situations, we begin to find freedom, and all of a sudden we hear truth, and we realize, gosh, I'm not the only person. Even if we haven't shared what we're walking through, hearing someone else share, it's like, gosh, okay, that gives me hope. Right. That gives like that. I can I can change. Specifically, someone who said, hey, I walked through that, and now I have freedom. I've been in that, and that's not the full story. God's changed me from the inside out, and He can change you too. Um, that, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Adam, I'm both encouraged and troubled that there was such a large turnout for the uh, discussion on depression and struggling with suicidal thoughts. Um, but I'm wondering what you think is uh, responsible for some of this despair that people are feeling. Uh um, I, I think there's 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 a part of it that's a physical thing. Okay. Um, of just like uh, in my family, we got bad knees, and so I don't struggle. I don't personally struggle with depression, like on a clinical level. But man, I got bad knees. I've already had three knee surgeries in high school, wow. and I think so. I think for some of us that there is there is a physical part of our body that's just off. So I want to I want to share that first. But I think there's all kinds of other things that are outside of that. Everything from constant social media and constantly being aware of what everyone else is doing and really feeling a highlight reel of everyone else's life while you're living real life. And your marriage is struggling and your kids are making bad decisions and you don't like your job like the other person loves their job. So I think it's that constant comparison in, 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 in awareness. And then even our schedules – and I think even the lack of something that God commanded a long time ago of taking a Sabbath and having times to breathe. And again, that's a little bit of social media, but just even our schedules in general, it's like uh, I'm so tired because I'm constantly running and I feel so disconnected because I really don't have many deep, deep relationships that I think for those of us who maybe on a physical level don't struggle with depression or anxiety, all of a sudden we begin to struggle it's like there's just this different world um, of feeling like we're in front of a camera, even if it's our own camera that we're putting ourselves out there online constantly. Mm-hmm. And so I think there, I think there's just a bunch of different things um, that that lead to it. And so I, I think to kind of combat that again, away from like the physical part, if you physically struggle with depression, it's just like okay, I'm going to get off social media, or I'm going to have habits where I set my phone down. It's not going to be the first thing that I look at. I'm going to have conversations with friends and family around a dinner table without without my phone. And if if I find myself struggling, if every time I pick up my phone I have less joy because I'm jealous of what somebody else is doing, I need to I need to get off of social media for a while. And I say that as someone who's on pretty much every social media myself. <laughs> and so so I'm preaching at myself here, but I I think a lot of those things lead to lead to the place that we're in of just like, man, I, when was the last time our family did nothing on an evening? 
Yeah. Because we got we got this and we got this and we got this, and really kind of taking control and saying, I don't want that to be, I don't want that to be my life. Mm-hmm. And social media as a tool can be brilliant, but uh, if you use it as an obsession, you could be in big trouble. And I mean, this has big been a trouble. recurring theme, Adam, on many uh, shows with many guests. They keep going back to this. And then every time I have a guest remind me of this, um, I walk out the door and you walk into, you know, any social place and everyone is looking down. It's like, come on. Can't be that interesting. Oh. Yeah. And not even away from social media, I, I think even how aware we are of news. And there's there's a good side of that of being being aware of things and knowing what's happening. I think even as a pastor, I, th- I think it's important to know what's going on in our communities and world around us. But when we're so connected and we know every terrible thing that happens on every side of the globe, it can just it can bring a lot of fear and anxiety into our lives. And so it's like even with a healthy balance of being aware of what's going on in the world, of not but but at the same side same time not allowing it to to ruin my world <laughs> like as far as like like being a fearful person it's like god i want to spend more time in your word than i spend in the news i want to spend more time with you than i spend on facebook um because i know that my life doesn't work and i can't make a difference if if it's if it's changing me for the for the negative mhm tell me about how you talk to god throughout the day do you you pretty much have a running dialogue all day long. <laughs> I, I I I I strive for it. Okay. I'm definitely a work. I'm definitely a work in progress. Um, my my prayer life is so conversational, and um, I've 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 really just been. It's actually something I've been thinking about a lot as as a parent of how to model Jesus to my kids. And I think one of the, the ways that Beck and I have done that well, we've done so many things not well as parents, but really is just to model our prayer life. Um, we, we pray before meals and before we go to bed, um, but we pray so many other times than that, and our kids see it constantly. Uh, so I, I'll go on walks or we'll be playing catch with, with my kids. They probably think I've completely lost my mind at times because I'll go from – talking about something random they'll share about about a, a football game to me thanking god for them of just god i'm so thankful for this beautiful day and i get to play catch with my son wilson in my backyard <laughs> and, so, and, and then like right back to football again you fantastic know? and so and you so they integrate it yeah yeah it's just a part of my day and uh sometimes we'll say amen Sometimes I'll pray and they'll say amen. Like, 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 and so it's it's like, it's, it's just a part of my day of just like being more aware of God and uh, allowing him to be a part of things. And even something, again, they they might think I've lost it. I've begun to pray for their relationship with Christ, like, like in front of them of just saying like, God, I pray for my daughter that she'd come to know you the same way I do. That's fantastic. All right, Adam, you got a little homework. Get yourself a theme song next time you come on and have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. All right. Uh, Adam Weber has been my guest. Go to adamweber.com. You can learn more about Adam and his ministry and his book. We'll take a little break, and then Dr. Ann Bradley will be with us. at 9 on Faith Radio. 
Welcome back to the big show. I'm so glad I can invite back onto the program Dr. Ann Bradley. She is uh, an author and speaker and professor, and she got her Ph.D. in economics from George Mason University in 2006, and I'm awfully glad to have her back on. Ann, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, it is really nice to have you back. You know, I think the church and Christians, are, are they deeply are, are, care about religious freedom. We, we really uh, want religious freedom. We think it's a big deal. Yet, have we ever really talked about why we support religious freedom? That's a good question. I, you know, I think that this is um, becoming more of an issue, and so I'm hoping that we're paving the way for those conversations um, as members of the church and as members of community um, with each other, because, you know, to the extent that religious th- freedom is threatened, Christians have to be on the forefront um, mobilizing to protect it. And uh, for everyone. So this is not just an issue that is pertains to Christians. It's an issue that pertains to all people. And so that's what we really want to kind of uh, broaden the conversation to, is how do we protect the institutions that the founders thought were so important in this country that does protect and provide an environment for cultural pluralism and truth-seeking? Mm-hmm. Now, just to remind my listeners, Anne used to be a regular guest on the morning show, and she's a VP at the Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics, and has written this wonderful article at the website tifwe.org. And we're talking about uh, equipping Christians to defend religious freedoms for all. So that was um, a good way to set the table, Anne. So there was a piece of kind of bad news because a federal judge uh, threw out a conscience rule. Talk about that, if you would. So um, in terms of um, these types of issues, I think what we're really worried about is people, and of course in the book we get into this in a deep theological way, and this is the cornerstone of religious freedom, if you will, which is that um, freedom of conscience is the freedom to pursue uh, meaning, truth, purpose, and that of course gets actualized in a lot of different ways in our society. And so if people aren't free to live out what they believe is right for them, um, and of course, if that gets struck down legally, then we have, I believe, an environment and where, and we, we talk about this in the book, where we're creating winners and losers, mm-hmm. right? So when, when the law sides with one person over another, one group over another, the problem with that is that then people are going to use the law and use the state as a weapon to protect what they view as their freedoms and to insulate themselves from other people having the same freedoms. And so freedom of conscience is so important because, again, it applies to everyone, but everyone is not going to come up with the same ideas about what's right and what's true for them. So when we limit people's ability to express that, then we have we have real issues. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to announce that there's a brand new book uh, that just came out called Set Free, and you wrote that with uh, Art Lindsley, is that correct? Correct. We're the editors, actually. The editors, so okay. So there's uh, many authors. Um, Oz, Oz Guinness uh, wrote a chapter. We have um, people here who are really on the forefront of fighting for religious freedom. Um, so it's exciting to, to get a lot of different perspectives in the book. Yeah, I'm never afraid to make mistakes with you because you're always so gentle in correcting me. I, I love that about you. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk a little bit more about this conscience rule. Now, this uh, in particularly was applied to some healthcare workers, wasn't it? To That yes. gave them some space to not participate in med- medical procedures that were in violation. 
Correct. And so we have, uh, um, unfortunately, repeat incidences of this. Um, so we have the Little Sisters of the Poor and we have other types of decisions. And I think and we actually address this in the book where um, the medical field is one, I think, area of vulnerability where uh, in particular Christians are feeling like um, they're having to capitulate through either the provision of healthcare services, through uh, adopted insurance programs, through churches or employers. And, you know, if, again, as we, and it's a little bit of a different conversation, but if we think about Medicare for all, or we think about universal and collective provision of healthcare, then these issues are going to be more, not less. Because mm-hmm. if we mandate certain types of health coverage, of course, then we're, you're dealing with a uh, a religious organization, whether it's a church or whether it's a, you know, kind of a family-run organization where the family has or the company's board has certain religious values, they're going to clash with these types of things. And so I think uh, being able to opt out of that should be part of living out the freedom of your conscience. And when we're limiting that, I think we're in a danger zone for religious freedom and freedom of conscience. Do you think that's the direction it would go, giving people the the option to opt out? I think that it's possible. I mean, I think if we, uh, in terms of, if I understand your question, if we're forcing people Mm -hmm. through the law, right, in terms of healthcare provisions, if we're forcing them to say, you know, you have to provide all these types of health insurance, and that could be abortifacients and access to abortions, just as an example, um, then I think that people who don't agree with that are now in a real, you know, they have a real problem. To the extent that they can offer something else to their employees, then uh, we might say there's a workaround. But I think as we increasingly collectivize these policies, I'm worried about it because what are, you know, what are employers to do um, if they're told they have to? I think they're just going to have to stand up and say no. But that's going to that's gonna be a difficult battle to fight. Mm-hmm. So, and some of the faith-based groups that have been discriminated against, um, is this battle, is this fight that's going on, is this one that we're winning more than losing? You know, that's a, I'm so glad you asked that question. So before we wrote the book, we had a colloquium of scholars and practitioners in the room for a weekend kind of talking about these ideas. And I think as Christians, you can look at the landscape and say, you know, wow, maybe, maybe we should be really worried. And maybe things are not, um, you know, we're not winning these battles. But we had a participant who said, you know, um, who was a lawyer um, who, who works in directly with religious freedom cases, and he said, you should be encouraged. Uh, it's, a, it's a fragile time, but we're winning more than we're losing. And so to me, that's encouraging. Um, but I think we're going to have to have, you know, continue to have these thoughtful people on the front lines fighting. And again, I, 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 I want to make sure we're clear that we're talking about for every religious denomination and right. group that they should have these freedoms, right? right? So that was very encouraging to hear him say that. He said, you know, I'm going up before the Supreme Court and I'm telling you we're winning more than we're losing, but we have to keep fighting. Yeah, because if a woman goes into a male Muslim barber shop and wants to get her hair cut and they say, we would prefer not to do that, that should be okay, right? Well, and so, yeah, this is the thing that you're talking about and that, you know, kind of as an economist I get excited about is the market provides a a venue or an avenue to work around. So whether it's that or whether it's um, there's been several cases um, in Colorado and in Oregon where bakers, 
you know, are kind of um, being slapped around, if you will, because they're not, you know, they're opting out of baking a cake um, for a marriage that they don't agree with because they view that that's participating in the ceremony of marriage, even though in many cases they've said, we'll bake you a cake for any other occasion. We're not discriminating you against, against you as human beings, but we, we just can't participate in this marriage. Um, and so, again, we're winning some of those, but I believe um, one of those cases the couple was fined $135,000 by the state. So while they weren't shut down for a small business, that can be that can be a lot of money, so much so that it forces you to shut down. So I think what we would say, you know, what I would say as an economist is that there are many people who are going to come to that situation and say, okay, fine, that, that baker doesn't want to bake you a cake. We'll bake you a cake. Mm-hmm. So the market provides a solution for this. Um, and I think we need to let the market work in that way. There's going to be some people who are happy to participate in same-sex marriages, and there's going to be people who want to not participate. And I think freedom of association means that we have to let people opt out and let other people step in. And so, you know, I think that we don't have to take all of these cases to court. Um, I think we could let the market solve the problem. Unfortunately, I don't think we always do that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always helpful when we turn the clock back a little bit, maybe you would be able to give us some understanding of religious freedom throughout history. I mean, what has been the, the, how have we understood religious freedom in the past, from the past? This is, this is my favorite part of thinking about this because I'm not oh. a practitioner. I'm not a lawyer. So I like to think about the broad scope of how, of the trends here. And so, especially with respect to the American Republic, um, religious freedom was incre- just incredibly important to the founders uh, and, and this idea that it's the first freedom was a cherished notion. Uh, and so the and, and it was very clear, if you read the founding documents, that they were making a distinction between religious freedom and religious tolerance. Uh, and so that is our heritage. And religious tolerance is kind of like, all right, you know, I'm going to let you do that, but I'm going to keep my eye on you. I always kind of liken it to when I let my kids outside and <laughs> playing in the front yard, right? It's yeah. like, all right, I'm going to let you outside, but I don't fully trust you. So I'm going to have to take some of your privileges away. That's what religious tolerance, that's kind of that notion. But religious freedom is that the state is here to protect you. That The state is not the grantor of your rights. It is the protector of your rights. The grantor of your rights is God, your creator. And so as Christians, I think we really have to go back to those roots, which informed the founders um, that being made in the image and likeness of God and bearing the dignity that that affords us, that's what gives us our rights. And the state can only be the protector of that. And so that's a really important distinction. Um, Why religious freedom freedom is really important, again, in our history, uh, and, and I like I I like to go back to Tocqueville, who, when he wrote Democracy in America, you know, he basically came to tour prisons and he just stumbled upon a society that he didn't expect to find. And what he said was Americans form voluntary associations to help each other. And he viewed that the backbone of them doing that, the reason they do that is because they're faith was so important to them. So that religious freedom was so important for civil life in America because people were living out um, what they believed they were called to do. So starting hospitals, 
starting educational institutions, orphanages, all these types of things, that that was so important to early America. And I think it's still important now. Tocqueville also said that these voluntary organizations serve as a buffer against the growth of the state. And so we need them so much. And I think that's how we take our heritage and think about the relevancy today, to the extent that religious freedom gets stifled um, or gets um, obscured in some way. I think that there's all these other consequences for civil life, for economic life. And, you know, if people can't solve their own problems, they're going to go to the state. And when they go to the state, then the state has to be in this position of kind of picking winners and losers. That's usually how this goes. And we don't we want to avoid that at all costs. Dr. Ann Bradley is my guest. She certainly paid attention in, in economics classes as well as many other classes. Uh, she has uh, been editor editor of a new book called Set Free, Restoring Religious Freedom for All. She did that with Art Lindsley. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Dr. Ann Bradley. Be right back. Back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Ann Bradley on the show. We're, uh, uh, we're big fans of, of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics, and she is the vice president at the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. You can go to their website, tifwe.org, tifwe.org. And as I'm looking through the chapters of the new book, and I, we chatted about this before we went to break, but I think you could dig a little bit deeper. Um, chapter 8 uh, is one that you sort of... Uh, uh, took on um, the bricks and mortar of civil society, an empirical analysis of economic and religious freedoms. I know we touched on that, but I, I know that you've got more. Yes. Uh, so uh, I wrote this chapter with um, Professor of Economics Joe Connors, and what we decided we wanted to do is go to the data, uh, to the extent that we have data on this, and try to look at the relationship between economic freedom and religious freedom and political freedom. Uh, back in the 70s, Milton Friedman pioneered measuring economic freedom. So we have lots of really rich data on that, and it's global data. Religious freedom is kind of the data there is in its infancy, but we took what's out there. So there's um, different type, two different types of data sets that we use. One measures government hostility to religious organizations country by country, mm-hmm. and the other looks at um, social hostility towards religious organizations and religious, you know, formation. And so we we took those indexes and then we tried to kind of compare them to societies that have a lot of economic freedom and societies that don't have a lot of economic freedom. And, and what can we learn about the causal, if there is a causal relationship? And of course, you know, it's very hard to prove causation, but what we learned was what we suspected, which is that there seems to be a strong correlation between countries who have lots of economic freedom and countries who have 
good amounts of religious freedom, and it works in the other direction as well. If you have no you know, economic freedom, you're likely to not have a lot of religious freedom. And so these freedoms work together. Mm-hmm. They support one another. And we looked at all sorts of interesting outcomes. So in countries that have um, lots of religious freedom, this is back to the Tocqueville um, things we were talking about earlier, you tend to have more civic organizations in societies where you have lots of religious freedom. So more professional groups, more art clubs, more sport clubs, things that aren't religious per se in their own right, but they're, that are an extension of people living socially amongst each other. And that's something so necessary to protect. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and would you say that that many Americans might be big fans of political freedoms or economic freedoms, but maybe don't pay quite the same attention to uh, religious freedoms. I think that's right. I think economic freedom, we understand. We've been talking about it for a long time. Political freedom, we understand. I think intuitively, most people say, yes, religious freedom is a good idea. But to understand um, how it's a good idea, which is what we've just been talking about, why it's so important for our culture, for our society, for our ability to help one another. And, of course, commerce comes from that. So when you truncate one freedom, religious freedom, that is, you're going to harm the other freedoms. I'm not sure people make that connection. I don't know. I don't even think it's obvious. I think we you know, that's part of the purpose of the book. So. I think we need to talk more about those relationships that we're not just talking about making somebody, you know, bake a cake, um, mm-hmm. that, that, that there's something much more at stake here. Um, but we're not just saying, oh, you have to provide birth control pills, even though you kind of don't like it, just get over it. There's something more fundamental about people um, seeking truth and living out their purpose that's at stake I think, you know, on the margin, I think some people, especially maybe, you know, not religious people might say, well, this is just going to have Christians whining and complaining about it. Um, but I think they, that that is a mistake to view it that way. I think at, when we when we tread on this freedom, all of our civic life and following from that our economic life will uh, be impaired. So I think we need to kind of this this book is an effort to raise some awareness around that. Um, but really to contextualize it in a biblical narrative that Christians should be for religious freedom because of who we are in God and that we should fight for those freedoms for everyone, not just for ourselves. Yeah, amen to that. So, Anne, what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on the growing call for fairness and justice guaranteed by government? Mm -hmm. That's a tough question. I think, you know, in, uh, in general, I'm for fairness and equality and justice in the sense that, especially when it comes to the rule of law, we want people to be treated equally. But I think your question is a little bit more than that. Um, I think it's, you know, we're entering a culture, or maybe we're already in the middle of that culture, where um, tolerance has taken on a new meaning, and tolerance um, is kind of increasingly connected to this notion of justice. And to be tolerant means not just to listen to opinions you might disagree with, but tolerance means kind of forcing people to come to your side and forcing people into behavior that they might not agree with. And Mm -hmm. I would say that's the the opposite of tolerance. Right. Um, So I think we've distorted that narrative in our culture. And I think that's a scary thing. Um, When I'm looking at 
the way that Christians are responding to this and the way Christian businesses have to operate in the world, I think there's a lot of pressure to just cave. I think there's a lot of pressure to just not be bold about who you are because we've reinvented the word tolerance. Yeah, does it seem that there is um, an initiative to try to coerce another human into believing something that he or she wouldn't normally believe? I mean, I think we've always done that. Okay. I mean, I think that's part that's of humanity. Not but, but I do think I do think that 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 we're in a in kind of a, a brave new world, and I don't say that in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure what it is that's changed. I don't know if it's that we're so connected by social media that we feel different dimensions of peer pressure to kind of do what's cool and do what's trendy rather than sticking to your guns. I'm not I'm not sure, but it you know it's kind of this idea that there's there's no safe spaces left to talk about ideas and to disagree. Um, and so that's something I'm really worried about. But, yes, I think we're – I mean, look, I'm in the college environment, and I can tell you that I, I cannot remember one time in my college days where a speaker was heckled off the campus before they even opened their mouth wow. because they were perceived to be, you know, affiliated with a right – um, and today you just see story after story where um, – and so the teacher, um, you know, the young – the next generation, they're kind of being raised in this environment where if I don't like what, I'm, what I think I'm about to hear, I'm going to boo the person off stage. I mean <laughs> there's no tolerance in that. No. Um, and I think it's a victim type of mentality where I have to insulate myself against everything I don't want to hear. Yeah, so it's, – It's not good. Yeah. So, Anne, how can believers – you know, model the right type of tolerance uh, or freedom of ideas? I love that question. I think what we have to do is be bold and courageous about our convictions, but be gracious um, and loving in that. That is a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. But I think in that, we treat people the way Jesus treats us. And that's what we're supposed to do. So I think we have to, you know, stand at our ground um, but do it in love. And love doesn't mean, you know, I, we've reinvented the word love, too, to mean like, oh, I know we have. you know, fuzzy, warm feelings all the time. Right. Um, so I think we do it in love. I love you, but I, this is not okay with me, and I'm not going to do it. And But, you know, I respect you as a human being, and I would love to continue my relationship with you. I think that's the problem is we cut off relations with people. Across, you know, everybody does oh, it, but that's kind of the, you know, we just, I don't, I, I'm just going to cut off this relationship because I disagree with you. And I think that's probably most of the time, not what we should do. I think we need to live into that relationship in a loving, but disciplined way. Yeah. I mean, we should be caring and protecting and loving one another as we disagree with one another. Yes. Am I living on <laughs> Unicorn Island right now? Um, maybe, but I think that's that's you're coming from the right place. That's what we have to do, and that's that's the only way we're going to change hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. We're not going to change hearts and minds by stopping discussions, and we're not going to do it by screaming at each other. And so we have to find another way. Maybe my suggestion would be everybody should just get off social media for a little bit. That might help things, um, you know, because you would never kind of talk to someone in person the way – that you tweet to the person, especially if you don't know them that well. You're so I absolutely think the civility we need. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. But religious freedom is under assault and will be for 
the foreseeable future. So we do, as believers, have to be equipped to be out there doing something about it. I agree. Absolutely. And I think this is particularly important for religious organizations and, you know, Christian-owned companies. I think um, they are vulnerable and they need um, – there's a lot of nonprofit organizations dedicated to helping um, defend religious freedom. And so I think, you know, we need more of that um, where there are vulnerabilities because, I, you know, power seeks more power all the time. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's the worry that yeah. we have. Yeah, and as power um, gets more, people get more power, more corruption can creep in. Correct, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Well, Anne, so nice to talk to you once again. Thank you for saying yes to do the, doing the show, and I look forward to having you back on soon. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun. You bet. Dr. Anne Bradley has been my guest. The book we're chatting about, she edited with Art Lindsley. It's called Set Free, Restoring Religious Freedom for All. We'll take a short break, and we will be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.